again for being here. Uh, it's been a good week. I've been excited about all the things that are going on. I hope you guys have been involved in the Acts Bible study that we've had going on, the daily reading that we've had for the last 21 days. Today actually was defining going all in, so if you haven't had a chance to read that yet, it should be in your email box. We also have it up on our um, paragonchurch.info, and there's also the reading packets that are up there at the front uh, welcome center, so please make sure you grab one of those. Uh, you don't have to start back with us. You can start even tomorrow or start today and get going with that. But uh, 2013 has already been a good year. Um, I turned 37 on Friday, which was, which was fun. Got to go down to Tecano's with my family. If you guys haven't been to Tecano's, it's like an all-you-can-eat meat buffet, which is amazing. That is the best idea ever that the Brazilians ever came up with. Maybe that in soccer. But um, the, uh, got to do that. And, you know, I was thinking about 2013, and there's two big things for me that come about. Um, number one, uh, I, I'll be celebrating my 20th high school reunion. I'm not going to because I don't do that kind of thing, but 20 years ago I graduated high school, which just makes me feel a little older because I never thought that I'd ever get to this point. Um, and then the other thing is, is uh, this year I'll be celebrating my 15th year of, uh, of being married to Christy, and, and it's been a, a good thing, and very excited about that coming up in May. Uh, and I got to thinking about that this week. And the things that kind of go along with, with being married. And w- actually, Christy and I were talking this morning about a, another class we might even start probably right after Easter about um, kind of helping young married couples come along. And, uh, and, you know, we'll need couples in there to be mentors. And, you know, one of the reasons why we were able to do so well in the beginning is we had some couples that came alongside of us and said, this is how you do it. This is how you don't do it. This is how you fight. This is how you don't fight. This is how you deal with finances. This is how you don't deal with finances. And those things were, were huge in, in coming along for us. And one of the things that I found as, as Christy and I um, live together longer, there's things that I learned about her. And there are things that I got to, to know about her. And one of those things is places that you want to eat at and the kind of food that you like to eat. Now... Um, guys, let me ask you a question. If I were to schedule a time with Christy and say, um, where do you want to eat at tonight? And she replied back with, it doesn't matter. Let me ask you guys, and this will determine whether or not your marriage will succeed or not. Does it matter? Yes, it does. Absolutely. It absolutely matters. And that's one of the great things about getting to know your your spouse, is that when they say it doesn't matter, you know that it matters because you've taken time to get to know them, get to know everything about them. And, you know, as we're getting ready to go do this all in, we, we want to see some things happen in our relationship with God that we can know what he wants and that what it, what he wants actually matters. And, um, if you haven't been with us, I challenged you the very first week and this last couple of weeks, even since then, that, 2013 is a year that I want for myself and I want for you to be the greatest year of spiritual growth that you have ever had. That is the desire of my heart and the desire of my soul is that we grow closer to God more this year than ever. So in December of 2013, we can look back and say, man, what a change that God has had in my life. Some ways we're making it happen, well, we're talking about it on Sunday mornings and we're going to continue to talk about it and continue to make that the main focus throughout all of 2013. 
Uh, we provided an opportunity for you to read through the book of Acts, which I'm not sure about you, but being involved in the Word every day and reading a full chapter and seeing the way the church started and seeing the way that Paul became who he was, and as we're, as we're looking into that, to even see back only, only about, what, um, 10, 12 chapters ago, he was crucifying Christians. In today's chapter, if you look in verse 21, I'm sorry, ch- verse uh, 13 of chapter 21, you'll see that he says... I don't care if I'm jailed, and I don't care if somebody kills me. I am going to preach the gospel of Christ. I mean, to see that transformation in his life, how great would that be to see that in our lives from the beginning of 2013 to the end of 2013? Uh, And after we're done with this, which will be next Sunday, because we'll be reading Acts 28 next Sunday, I'm really looking and trying to figure out how we can make it happen to to begin a 21-day fast. And some of you are like, well, what's a fast? Well, fast is us removing ourselves, removing something from our lives. And, you know, it could be food, it could be uh, social media, it could be whatever you want it to be. But we're going to, to work on a 21-day fast and, and teach a little bit about fasting and what, why it's important and taking that time to pray and have God direct us. Uh, we started a new men's Bible study. We went from four the first week to eight the second week, which was great, you know, to have 100% growth. I think anybody would take that, and we're excited about that. That's Friday mornings at 6 o'clock if you want to get up then. If you don't want to get up then, just come anyway. Um, we're also getting ready to start a women's Bible study. You'll see that inside your, uh, your bulletins. Uh, Christy's working on that right now. We're reaching out to the community. I uh, just want to let you all know, over here on this table, we have that thing for the pack, the backpack uh, for Sandia Vista. Um, the lady came by and she picked up uh, the food to, to get the thing started and she was blown away at how much you guys brought in last week and now we have a whole other table full. So I want to say thank you in advance for her. Um, she was totally excited and looking forward to partnering with us as we reach out to the community. And really the list can go on and on. Uh, we're beginning to prepare for Easter. Do you realize that Easter is nine weeks from today? I know most of you guys don't think that, but being the fact that that's one of our main holidays, we revolve everything around here at the church, um, I've been thinking about that and how we're, going to, how we're going to do that and how we're going to reach out to the community and, and be a part of that. Very excited, but I'm most excited about the way God's changing lives and how he's using us to be able to do that. And how he's changing in our lives, and that it will flow down to those who are around us and those who surround us. I think we all have the desire to grow in Christ. And we said the very first week, the desire is there, but without discipline, where there's not going to be much success. Just like going to the gym, just like being on a diet, just like any of those kind of things. We might have the desire to do it, but without the discipline to follow through, we're not going to see the success. Because desire plus discipline will equal a difference in your life. That's mentally, physically, emotionally, and I really believe that we can apply that spiritually as well. A growing relationship with Christ, we talked about last week, just going through some review here. As we talked about last week, a growing relationship with Christ is intentional, not accidental. You can't just fall into it. You can't just fall into a growing relationship with Christ. If you remember last week, I talked about this. You can't just eat a pack of Oreos the night before you go to bed and the next morning wake up with a six-pack. It doesn't happen accidentally. You have to actually work at it. And it's the same thing it is with our Christianity. Not only do we have to want it, we have to follow through with it. And our desire and our discipline will equal that difference. As we get started this morning, I want to pray and I want to uh, challenge you as we go with this all in and how, how Jesus is really leading us to do this that you'll open your hearts and open your minds to what he'd have to say to you. So pray along with me if you would. God, we are so thankful for who you are and what you have done. And the fact that you've opened up yourself to us, 
to have a relationship with us by sacrificing your one and only son. God, you gave all, and all you ask for is all in return. Help us to realize that. Help us to recognize that, and help us to make that happen in our lives this morning. We pray it all in your name, God. Amen. I think the underlying thought of this desire plus discipline equals a difference is found in our all-in series that we're doing. Some of you uh, who haven't been with us, we've been talking about the greatest commandment there is in the Bible. And some of you are like, what do you mean the greatest commandment? There's 10 of them that stand out to be pretty important in our lives. Well, actually, um, there's a religious leader of the law in Mark chapter 12 that asked Jesus a question. And there was a whole lot more at this point in time than just 10. There was actually 618 laws that were followed to the T by the Pharisees and by the religious leaders. And this religious expert, this expert in the law, talks to Jesus, says, Jesus, can you do me a favor? Now, this this wasn't because they really wanted to learn. This is because they wanted to trick Jesus. But Jesus throws out an answer that's very important to each and every one of us today. He says, what is the most important commandment in the scriptures? Can you tell us that, please? And Jesus answers with this in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. If you have your Bibles out, please go ahead and do that. If you're not, it'll be up here on the screen. And you'll see that all is underlined and capitalized, and I would love your help for this, again, like I did last week. It says this, it says, love your Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. All. All. Not some, not part. The most important commandment for us to follow is to go all in. That's what Jesus said. He doesn't want something from you. He wants everything from you. And that is a hard place for us to be because, you know, I'm not sure if we like that idea of going all in. Now, maybe we like the idea, and that's what we talked about the first week, the heart, that passion, the, 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 the ability and the desire to want to go all in. And God said, go in with all your heart. He wants all of our passion. He wants all of our love. He wants everything. And that's what we talked about the first week. In the last two weeks, we talked about all our strength. Because not only is it going to take that desire, it's going to take some discipline to make it happen. And that's where this strength comes in. And we talked about the fact that there is a next step for every person in this room. We all have a next step with Christ. Nobody in here has arrived. Nobody has made it to the pinnacle of Christianity. Because if you were, you'd be dead. Because if you're not dead, then you're not done. And we have to remember that as we look at it, and we have to remember that we have a next step, and it's not always going to be the easiest of next steps. And that's where the strength part comes in. We have all of our heart and all of our strength. Now, if Jesus had stopped there and never said mind or never said soul, we'd have a bunch of crazed Christians running around like chickens with their heads cut off. I honestly believe that. We'd have a bunch of wacko people out there doing all their heart, because we have all this passion, we're doing all our strength. But also he says, hey, don't forget about your mind and your soul. Now, next week, we're going to talk about soul because I think it's going to fit very well with that, that game that happens at the end of the football year for NFL um, that most of you are just going to be watching the commercials. But for some of those, all your soul. There's going to be people that have all their soul poured into one of the two teams for next week. And we're going to talk about that next week. We're going to have some fun. So be here next week. Invite your friends. Uh, we'll have some football foods out here, and it'll be a good time. But today, we're going to talk about our minds because sometimes our minds get out of control. And he says, I want you to focus your mind on me. I want you to love me with all of your mind. All of it. And how do we do that? How do we 
love God with all our mind? Well, before we even answer that question, we need to understand that if we want to love or grow closer to God, this year we have to love him with all our mind. How do we do it? I can say go to the bookstore. Yeah, I bet you can find books. I bet you can find pamphlets. I bet you can find magazines. I bet you can find websites. I bet you can find all sorts of things on how to love God with all your mind. But I'm going to keep it very simple for you today because I'm a simple person and this is what I want somebody to tell me. One sentence, the message will be done. If you're ADD, you can check out right after this, okay? One sentence, you want to love God with all your mind? Read your Bible, do what it says. Read your Bible, do what it says. Well, Matt, that doesn't sound very deep. Well, I told you it was going to be simple. But if you really think about it, it's probably the deepest thing you're going to hear all day. It's probably the deepest thing you're going to hear all year. Read your Bible, do what it says. Not just read your Bible, because we can just read our Bible. Lots of people just read their Bible. But now you've got to take that next step and actually do what it says. If you want to love God with all your mind, you have to do what it says. Any of you in here uh, have a Bible of another sort that would be something like the grilling Bible or the weight loss Bible or the something for dummies, all those kind of books that tell you what to do? Anybody in here? Come on, just raise your hand if you've had one of those, you've read one of those. Okay, that's okay. Uh, apparently I'm the only person that reads Bible books like that. Um, but, you know, I like to see things change. I like to see how to better myself. Um, I like to see how to better the church. And I get magazine articles, and I get books, and I get all sorts of things, and I say, you know, this is the best way to take everything to the next step. And if I choose to read it, that is great. But it's not going to do anything until I choose to actually apply it. Apply what I read. That's why it says read your Bible and do what it says, because we need more than just information. Do you realize that Satan has all of the information that is located in this book? He knows everything about this book. He knows it better than you or I ever will. Yet the application part is where he has trouble. He knows it so well that he quoted scripture to Jesus. I mean, how would you like to be that guy? Quoting scripture to God. Hey God, just in case you didn't know, I'm just going to let you know what, what your Bible says. This is, this is Satan. He has the information, but it's not just about information. It's about application because information plus application equals transformation. Information plus application equals transformation. This right here, anybody know what this is? It's a bar of soap, okay? I've done youth ministry for a long time in my life. Anytime I'd go to a camp, I'd have to introduce some kids to this, okay? Because about Wednesday or Thursday, this was a necessity. And the reason why it was a necessity is because they had failed to use it. They knew everything about it. As a matter of fact, they had even brought it with them in their little toiletry sack. But it was still in the box. Unless you actually open it and apply it, it's not going to do anything for you. Crazy thing is, the Bible's the same way. Unless you actually open it and apply it, it's not going to do anything for you. As a matter of fact, when I was in high school and college, we learned a way to actually do daily devotions. And as you read your Bible, it was actually written out. Soap, which is scripture, observation, application, prayer. Soap. You have to use it in order for it to actually work. 
James 1.22 actually says it's the same thing. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what? What it says. Pretty plain, pretty simple. John 14.5, if you love me, keep my commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And whoever has my commands, here in verse 21, says whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. If we love God, we are going to want to grow closer to him. Just like in our relationship between Christy and I, I have gotten to know her to know what matters. If you want to get to know God, you have to know what matters. You have to know. And we do that by reading the Bible and doing what it says. Read the Bible, do what it says, and here's our three benefits I think we'll get from it. Not even I think. I'm going to guarantee it, okay? I'm going to guarantee that this is something you're going to get if you read your Bible and do what it says. I know those are big words, and you're like, wow, you're going to put a stamp on it? I will. I'll put a stamp on it because I believe these things will happen if you read your Bible and do what it says. If you go home today, start reading your Bible today, life change will start to take place today, and these things will begin to happen. The first thing is this. First benefit. I will know God's will. I will know God's will. Now, I'm not sure how many of you guys get our emails throughout the week or how many of you guys actually open them and read them, but in there, I asked you, do you know what God's will is for your life? I think I sent it out Monday or Tuesday. Do you know what God's will is for your life? Do you know where God is directing you and what God has for you? Some of you are like, yeah, I do. And some of you are like, you know, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on that. I will guarantee guarantee that you will know God's will for your life. You see, I've been in full-time ministry since my sophomore year in college. And in that time, the most asked question I've ever been asked is this. What does God want for my life? What is his will for my life? What direction does he want me to go? And if you want to know the answer to that question, read your Bible and do what it says. Read your Bible and do what it says. Now, some of you are like, wait a second. So you're saying that if I open up my Bible and I'm having a really hard time about where to go to school, I'm getting ready to go into college and I don't know which school to choose. You're saying when I open it up, it's going to say in Matthew eleven twenty one, go to UNM? Not quite. Sort of, but not quite. What about relocating my family? What about, what about should I date this guy or that girl or whatever it is? What about those questions? Are those going to be in there? Uh, sort of. Okay? But it starts with us reading our Bible. The Bible isn't like a magic eight ball. You can't just open it up and it just, yes, that's what you need to do. But this is the thing. And I wrote it down, and I'm going to have to read it to you because I think I'll get it messed up because it's got a lot of W's in it. You won't know God's will until you know God's ways. And you won't know his ways until you know his word. I'm going to repeat that for you. You won't know God's will until you know God's ways, and you won't know his ways until you know his word. The Bible tells us that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It lights up right there in front of us where we need to go. It may not be specific. It will direct you to what God would like for you to do. And I think one of the ways it'll do that is it'll be specific on standards that you should set to help make that decision. Because it may not be specific on if you should date that guy or should date that girl, but it will say things like avoid sexual immorality and avoid being yoked with somebody who is not like you. So that will help you make that decision. 
You know, maybe some of your decisions come down to school and those kind of things. And it says, hey, don't be in financial bondage and don't be a slave to, to those finances. Maybe that will help you make your decision of where you go to school. It sets up these standards and it sets up these guidelines. But you cannot know the will of God without knowing the word of God. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 12, uh, I know we have a Romans class going on at 9 o'clock. If you are not a part of one of those, I would strongly encourage you to be a part of one of those. But we have a Romans class going on at 9 o'clock, so I'm going to kind of cut into them here real quick. But Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 is very clear about this idea about wanting to know the will of God and what it is. It says this, it says, therefore, if you do me a favor, if you don't have it up here, if you're not reading on the screen, go... Write these in your Bible. Underline this thing. Anytime you see the word therefore, you have to find out what it's there for. And the reason why it is there is because Paul is saying in verse, or chapter 11 of Romans, he says, man, there is some grace and some mercy that God is pouring out on us. Therefore, because of all the things that God has done, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. When it says brothers and sisters, who do you think he's talking to? Us, Christians. Those who are followers of the way, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, because of all the things that God has done, because of what he has done for you, this is how we should respond. Because of his mercy, we need to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. I want you to see this. It says, offer your bodies, not just your hands, not just your feet, not just part of you, but all of you as a living sacrifice. Do you understand what sacrifice is? I mean, sometimes I think we think, well, if I give up a couple of channels on DirecTV to hold back on some of the costs, that's a sacrifice. That's not exactly what it's talking about here. It's talking about giving your all, kind of like this whole idea of going all in. If you want to go all in and give your all, it says it's our whole, it'll be holy and pleasing to God. This is our true and proper worship. See, I think we sometimes get confused on what worship actually is. We assume that worship is as long as we come in here and we sing a few songs and we, uh, maybe we even lift our hands up and then we hear a 35-minute sermon. We kind of tolerate that for the time and then we go ahead and leave. That is worship. That is only a part of it because this is our spiritual act of worship, our whole lives giving sacrificially of us to God. That is our worship. That is what he wants from us. He wants us to go all in, not just for an hour on Sunday morning, and if you get up early enough on, on Friday morning at 6. That's not what he's talking about. He wants everything. And then it goes on to this. It says in verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. The renewing of your mind. This is where it all happens at. Don't just change your behavior, change your mind. And how do we love God with all of our mind? We go back to that, read your Bible, do what it says. Go all in, follow him, and afterwards we'll be renewed in our mind, meaning let God change your way of thinking, meaning learn his ways, which means you have to get into his word, kind of like we were talking about. You're not going to know his ways until you know his word, and you're not going to know his word until you know his will. I mean, you know, I got that mixed up, but you know what I mean. Okay, the cool thing is, is the next thing it says, when you start reading your Bible, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. When you start doing this, you'll find out what his will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. That's pretty intense. That's a verse that I have read hundreds of times. As a youth pastor, as a pastor, that verse seems to always come up. It's real easy to read, real hard to do. Read your Bible, do what it says. And you know what? Our first excuse is this, but God, you don't know my situation. 
I mean, you're kind of God over everything, and you've got lots of other problems. You know, you've got world hunger going on. You don't understand me. I understand me way better than you understand me, God. So I don't think this is exactly where we want to be at. But the first question I have to ask for you is this. Do you really think you're smarter than God? Do you really think you're smarter than God? Now, all of us are going to say no, because we know better than to say yes, because we're thinking a lightning bolt's going to hit us, and then everybody's going to scoot away from us. So we're going to say no, but our actions generally tend to say the opposite. We tend to say, yeah, I kind of do know better than God. And when we say that with our actions, I want to ask you a question. How many of in here, any of you in here, have ever lost your keys? Raise your hand. Okay. It's always at the worst time, right? Almost every hand went up. Everybody here has lost their keys. Now, how many of you here have ever lost your cell phones? Yeah, even more of a panic than your keys, because you can find a separate set of keys, but you, your cell phone, that's life or death, and generally it's in your back pocket or in your hand. That's the funny part about it all. But see, we, we go to God, and we say, God, I know that you think you know us better, but I know myself better than you know. And he's like, hey, why don't you go find your keys and come back to me? No, you're not smarter than me. That's what he's trying to tell us. We get so caught up in ourselves, and... The progression is, is, once again, if we read our Bible, we have our minds changed. We start to think more like God because we're spending time with Him. And because we're starting to think like Him, you know, in that relationship type of thing, we start to understand God. And what does the rest of that verse say? It says that when we understand God, we'll be able to test and approve what His will is, that good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's what God wants for your life. God wants your life to be good, pleasing, and perfect. How many times have we told Jesus, I don't want you to be a part of it because you're only going to mess my life up? Too many times. Too many times we cut him out and say, you know what? God, you don't know. You don't know me. You don't know any of that stuff. When you read the Bible and we see what God says, and we say, hey, you know what? I'm not really sure if I like that idea so much. We have this balance of what God says versus what we want to say. Or what we want to do. What God says to do versus what we want to do. And I guess, how do we figure out which one's right? Well, I want to ask you something. In here, who has hurt you more than anybody else in your life? And my guess is, the answer is you. You have made decisions that are not good, that are not pleasing, and that are not perfect. And they have hurt you in the long run. You've got yourself into situations, you've got yourself into relationships, you've got yourself into financial situations, whatever it might be, you have hurt you more than you or anybody else has. And we say, God, you don't know, but God wants good, he wants pleasing, he wants perfect, he wants to direct us where we need to go. Now, it may not always be the one that is most socially acceptable, but that's exactly what he wants. This morning, I was reading... Uh, and in my reading came to Colossians 3.10, and I, I don't normally do this, but this is kind of just an added on, and I don't know, Corey, if you could pull it up really fast, Colossians 3.10 in, uh, in the New Living Translation. But as I was reading, we talked about this even, I think, the first week. But it says, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, this is 3.1, set your sights on the reality of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor. 
And he goes through in that, it talks about living in this new life of Christ, and one of the things he says, he says, you know, have nothing to do with sexual immorality or impurity or lust or evil desires, kind of those guidelines we were talking about already. Don't be greedy for a greedy person's idolatry, worshiping things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Now, skipping down to verse 10, it says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you what? You learn. As you read, as you get wrapped up in his knowledge that is where the renewing comes in that is where the renewing of the mind is when we are fully involved read your bible and do what it says it will change you the second benefit is this is you will be successful you will be successful now some of you are like wait a second matt are you going all prosperity preacher on us you going start saying hey as long as you come to church and you give your money to your television ministry you're going to be driving nice cars and living in big houses I want you to remember, God's definition of success and the world's definition of success is much different. We live in a world that crams its message down our throats. You need this to be successful. You have to drive this to be successful. You have to go here. You have to go vacation there. You have to, all these, there's all these blanks we have to fill in that the world says we have to have to be successful. Do you realize that every day, you were bombarded by at least 20,000 messages of what you need to do. Some sort of advertising, whether it be a full billboard or a commercial, to a little thing on a can when you're walking through the grocery store, or a box that has a nice red box with a green leprechaun that says, these are magically delicious and you have to have them if you want. You know, I understand. I understand the thinking that goes behind that. These guys have spent time and they have spent money and they want you to think that as long as you have this, you are going to be successful. That is what they do. They are going to spend millions of dollars next week for 30 seconds to get your attention. And the thing is, is that people are going to talk about that probably more the next day than they did the actual game. They know what they are doing. They want you to think that you have to have their product to be successful. I would be willing to bet that if we had a quiz right now, when we started, there's actually a, a logo game quiz for, for iPhones and stuff like that. I'm sure it's probably on the Android too. That you go through and just look at the logo and you have to name what company it goes with. And my kids are able to do it. I'm able to do it. If we had a quiz and had just slogans, I would be willing to bet that everybody in here would score an A. Because we know. If I said eat more chicken, everybody's like, man, Chick-fil-A's closed today. Doggone it, don't say that. You know, we know it. They want to tell us what we need to have in order to be successful. We're bombarded and they suck us in, but here's the problem. The world that we're listening to, to solve all the problems, is what created the problems to begin with. The world that we're listening to is a broken world. When they say you have to have this to be successful, we're listening to them talk. I mean, I'm not going to get into politics and all the stuff that goes on with it all, but there are a lot of people saying we have a lot of problems and this is how to fix them. Well, you know what? They've been saying that for about 6,000 years. That we've had these problems and this is how you fix them. As a matter of fact, things have only gotten worse when the Enlightenment period came on along. You know, if you know anything about history, when the Enlightenment came along and they said, you know, we need less God, we need more government, we need more money. That's when things got worse. When we said, let's take God out of the equation because he doesn't understand success and we're going to do government and money to make us successful. And look where it's gotten us now. When you take God out, that is a problem. The world knows it's broken. 
and they've been trying to fix it for thousands of years, yet we put our trust in what they say. We put our trust in what they have to say to us. We let the world influence us and direct us and lean on it to make us successful. I'm not that old, but I have learned in my lifetime that it doesn't work, and it won't work, and we need to look at God. As a matter of fact, Joshua 1, 7 and 8 is where Joshua comes along. Uh, Moses has passed away, and Joshua has the responsibility of leading the people into the promised land, and God tells him this. He and God are having a conversation. He says this in verse 7. Joshua 1, 7 says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law that my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it from the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Verse 8, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be what? Prosperous and successful. When we are in the Word, we will be prosperous and we will be successful. God tells Joshua that and He tells us that as well. Jesus isn't here to mess up our lives. Jesus is here to help us out. And some of you are like, well, wait a second. What about the guy that is just rolling in dough and has all kinds of stuff and doesn't have anything to do with God? You mean to tell me that he's not successful? And I want to tell you this. He's having a good time for the time being. Because God's definition of success and the world is totally different. It's kind of like this. If you're a football person, the team that scores the first touchdown of the game, they celebrate and they get all excited and stuff like that. Well, guess what? There's still a whole game to be played. So just being successful in that one little part does not necessarily deem the end of the game. The end is what matters because there's a whole different celebration that takes place when you win at the end of the game and that's what God's determining with us. Read your Bible. Do what it says. Third thing is I will experience breakthrough. I will experience breakthrough. Every one of us has a past. Every one of us has a place in our past. And maybe we're sitting in it right now going, God, I have no idea what you want me to do, and I don't know how this is going to work out. I'm completely lost. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's next. And maybe you're frustrated about what is going on or what could be happening soon. And you're not helping, God. Why should I bother following your rules or going to church or doing any of these things you've asked us to do or whatever Matt's talking about here? How is that supposed to help? I feel like I've been left out of this whole thing. Let me tell you something. The coolest event in history, the most amazing event that ever happened is something we celebrate every Sunday. And in nine weeks, we'll be celebrating the granddaddy of them all. That is the resurrection of of Jesus Christ. That is the most amazing event that has ever happened in history. But one thing that gets left out is during that time, there are a handful of ladies that don't get talked about much. Something that they did stands out to me that I think gets forgotten quite often. These three ladies, these, these ladies that were going along, um, you know, they had a front row seat to the resurrection. How cool would that have been? To have been a part of history where you get to be a front row seat to see Jesus walking out of the tomb. And all questions would be answered. But you see, these ladies, who society looked down onto, probably, probably had started following Jesus two to three years prior to this event. They had given everything. They had invested physically. They had invested emotionally. They had invested financially. They had given everything to this cause that Jesus was leading. He was saying, hey, 
I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. Follow me. And they did. Other people had done it. Other people had done some things and said some things, and they had grown a small group of followers behind them. But now Jesus had this big following, and they had invested in this. And then something happens. People start falling away, and he gets arrested. And not only arrested, he gets tried, and he gets beaten, and he gets spit on, and he gets mocked, and he gets hung naked. I know in all the things you always see in the crucifix, there's always like a little diaper on him, but that wasn't the way the Romans did things. He was hanging naked to be humiliated in front of everybody, and he died. And most of his followers scattered. And these women were standing there, and they were watching it all take place. And they saw him come down off the cross, and, and Joseph of Arimathea took him to, the, took him to the, uh, the, the borrowed tomb and placed him in there. And the women went, and they all sat there, and they said, you know what? What a waste of time, right? Isn't that the attitude they had? They said, you know what? Forget this. Jesus, you've let us down. We wasted three years of our life following you, and now we're going to be ridiculed because we followed you, and you didn't turn out the way you said it was going to be. You said you were going to be the king, and now you're dead. That wasn't the attitude they had. As a matter of fact, if you look in Luke chapter 23, verse 55, it says, The woman who had come with Jesus to Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. They went home, and they didn't cry. They didn't whine. They didn't say, oh, this is how my life is going to be and how worthless I am now. Instead, they prepared spices and perfumes. And then they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Wait a second. You mean to tell me they rested on the Sabbath? They followed God's laws even after he had broken their hearts and told them all the things that could have been but weren't happening? Absolutely. Absolutely. They could have said, forget you, God, and your rules. But they followed. They could have said, look at all the stuff we've invested in you, and it failed. But no, they followed. They stopped. They obeyed. They trusted God. They knew what he was doing because of it. And because of it all, they were the first ones to have a front row seat to the resurrection. Some of you are like, well, how, what's that have to do with me? What's that have anything to do with me? Right now, you might be going through a place in your life that feels like what you might call a crucifixion. You have some pain, you have some hurt, you have like things that feel like everything is just falling apart all around you. But let me tell you, hold on to Jesus. Because he hasn't let go of you. He, he's hung on to you the whole time. Hold on to Jesus. And my guess is, is you're going to be experiencing resurrection a lot sooner than you think. You're going to experience that breakthrough that we talked about. Jesus has not let go of you. Do not let go of him. As a matter of fact, Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter how bad off you think you are. My challenge to you today is read your Bible and do what it says. Read your Bible and do what it says. I want to challenge you today to love God with all of your mind and to get yourself renewed in that thinking like it says back in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship. This morning I'm going to ask the band to come up and we're going to close with a song by Chris Tomlin. Now, Chris Tomlin is, if you don't listen to Christian music, if you've ever been in church, you've probably sang a Chris Tomlin song because this guy, everything he writes turns to gold somehow or another. He's kind of like, you know, that type of guy. But this song is one I, was, I heard this week, and as I heard it this week, 
I thought, man, that is exactly, exactly what we're talking about. So I called Jerome and said, Jerome, can you, I mean, Jerome's pretty amazing, guys. I'm just going to let you know we, we uh, are very blessed to have Jerome and, and his, uh, his leadership and his skills. I said, Jerome, can you put this together and sing this song? And now it's not one of those soft hymnal closing songs. I'm going to have you all come forward and pray with me and, and that kind of stuff. This is kind of a fast and fun song. But the words to this song, they're exactly what we need to not only say but do. And they're, they're now gone. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Um, the, uh, it says this. L- look at the beginning of, of the verse here. It says, With this heart open wide from the depths, from the heights, I will bring a sacrifice. With these hands lifted high. That's all right. And even during the song, I'm going to be okay with you guys lifting your hands up, okay? going to just reach up. Go ahead and put your hands up high. With these hands lifted high, hear my song, hear my cry. I will bring a sacrifice. I lay me down. I lay me down. I'm not my own. I belong to you and you alone. On to verse 3, it says, Letting go of my pride, giving up all my rights, take this life and let it shine. The bridge repeats over and over again, I will be, oh, It will be my joy to say your will, your way. It will be my joy to say your will, your way. Because that's what it's all about. When we understand His will, it'll be because we understand His ways from reading His word. I want to challenge you to sing this song this morning. It might take you a time or two to get through it, but it's okay to clap. It's okay to raise your hands. There's even one point in time he says, hey, my hand's in my heart. So if you've got a little heartburn, give a little pat, okay? Do what you've got to do. It's okay to express yourself this morning. Let's sing this out as a closing prayer to God. If you need me to pray with you, I would be happy to do so. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you're thinking, I, I don't understand this whole thing about knowing His will and everything, I want to pray with you about that and lead you to where you can come to that knowledge of having a relationship with Him and growing in that relationship with him this morning i'm just going to step down right here in the front i know now i'm going to make you walk forward instead of go backwards it's okay come on down if you need me to pray with you i want to do that otherwise stand and sing with us as we sing this song jerome i'm going to turn it over to you